0: From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is
1: the Ask Christopher West Podcast.
0: Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'm here with my lovely wife.
1: Oh, am I to say my name now?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody knows your name by now. I All would- right, Christopher This is Wendy, (laughs) and I'm here with. It's the same wife I had last week. Same wife I had the week before that. That's right. I'm very happy about that. Wendy, I love this time of year. Uh huh. Because you don't like the winter cold. It's true. And it's getting warm, and you're out of your seasonal winter turmoils. The warmth is here trees are green, the grass is green, I'm mowing the lawn, summer's like right here, the school year's winding down. Yeah. I just wrapped up our, we kind of go in seasons with our made for more events that we take out to the parishes, Mm -hmm. and we just wrapped up our kind of spring tour. We were in, where was I? I was in Pelham, New Hampshire, Mm -hmm. and then outside of Cincinnati, Ohio last week, and I was sitting on the plane on the way home, and I really felt, I mean, I'm always exhausted. You know this very well when oh, I yes. get home from these trips, special, especially a double header where I'm going to two cities and then back. Um, and I'm always tired, and I always come home pretty spent, but I I felt so blessed to be doing this work. It is such a privilege. I've been doing it a long time now. Um since well it's coming up on 30 years this september that i first discovered john paul ii's theology of the body and i took it up right away and started talking about it with anybody and everybody who had listened little did i know where it would all lead but all the years of doing it i just felt the the absolute honor and privilege of being able to share this message with people who are so hungry for it and i want i want The whole world to hear me say, well, not like the whole world listens to this podcast, but the whole whole world of the people who listen to this podcast. I just want to express my gratitude to you, Wendy, for all of your support over Mm -hmm. the years. So I I get it every trip I go on. Somebody comes up to me and says, please thank Wendy. I know she makes so many sacrifices uh, for us to enable you to do this work. And it's true. And I just wanted to say... Thank you, Wendy, yeah. for all the sacrifices you make. And You're I know welcome. it blesses so many people.
1: Mm. Thanks.
0: Yeah, I feel richly blessed.
1: We are blessed. Thank you, Lord. You have any updates on the TOB Institute
0: for us? I do have some updates on the TOB Institute. We are I've said this on a few episodes recently, but I'm just gonna reiterate it. We are in need. We need your prayers. We need your financial support. We need your help. Um, we are at a stage in our growth where we're getting requests that we can't say yes to. I mean, we that's been a normal thing over the years. We can't say yes to everything, but there are some projects that we would really like to be able to say yes to that we can't just because of the size of our staff. We don't have the manpower to, to do what we believe we're called to do, and we're needing to raise funds to make some new critical hires at the Institute in the months and years ahead. And we can only appeal to you guys, people who believe in what we're doing. If you are not already a patron, would you be willing to become a patron? It starts just at $10 a month. If you're able to offer more than $10 a month as a patron, that would go a long way. If you already are a patron, and are able, you know, maybe you're a patron at $10 a month, would you be willing to sponsor somebody else uh, as a patron so that they get the benefits, but maybe you'd be willing to contribute another $10 a month for that person? Uh, We can make all kinds of arrangements to to help get a patronage, a membership out to someone else if you'd like to support us in an ongoing way or in an increased way. We would be so grateful. We are just relying on the people who believe in what we're doing to raise the funds that we need to make these new hires to continue getting this message out to the world. So please prayerfully consider that if you haven't already, and there's a link in the show notes where you can learn more. We're so grateful to our patrons out there. Thank you, everybody out there who's already part of our patron community. Thank you for supporting us. We can't do the work we're doing without your loyal support. We're so grateful.
1: Would you like to hear a question from a patron? From a
0: patron, and that's one of the benefits of being a patron. You get first dibs at the questions on our podcast. So, here we go.
1: Here it is. This is from Luis.
0: Hello, Luis. Thank you so much for your support.
1: My name is Luis, and I'm from Jalisco, Mexico. I recently became a patron because I came to realize how TOB glasses are the glasses through which we should all see God, ourselves, and our neighbors, and all of creation. We need to spread these glasses that God desperately wants us to use so that we may become those who see.
0: Mm. Amen. I want to before you go on, Wendy. Mm-hmm. I just want to want to clarify something so that this doesn't sound like some elitist thing, this T.O.B. club or something. I know exactly what she's getting at, but for those who may not know what she's getting at, I just want to clarify that to see the world with T.O.B. glasses is really just to see the world through the lens of. The incarnation the word made flesh it's not this newfangled special thing that jp2 gave us what jp2 gave us in his teaching called theology of the body is just a presentation of the mystery of the incarnation applied to the crisis of our day which is a crisis in masculinity and femininity we don't know why we're male and female anymore John Paul's theology of the body is the antidote to that crisis. But what he's giving us, it's nothing new in, in one sense. It's it's a new language, perhaps. It's, a, it's a, a deeper presentation. But it's an organic presentation of what the gospel has always been, the mystery of the word made flesh, the mystery of God sending his son, a male child born of a woman. So, uh, she, Luis is talking here about putting the glasses on that enable us to see everything through the lens of the mystery of a god who took flesh theology of the body amen just want to say that
1: all right and i'll just say i think Luis is a man i think it's that you know (laughs) you said she she, because you thought i I was talking about a woman that's okay I thought, oh, maybe he thinks he's talking to me, Wendy. I'm a woman. That's all right.
0: I got that. Speaking about getting men and women right, (laughs) I just got it wrong. Sorry, Louise. That's all right. It's Louise. I I could
1: see the name written. You're just hearing how I'm saying it. So that's why. Yeah.
0: Sorry, Louise. We'll keep going. We're a man among men.
1: (laughs) For the past six years, I've been committing, or trying to commit, I should say, to a set of practices that start 90 days before Easter, consisting of prayer, asceticism, which is a fancy word for acts of self-denial, and fraternity. I believe this program is well known in the Catholic media, and many of your listeners might know what I'm talking about. One of the asceticism practices is to, quote, only listen to music that lifts the soul to God. I think that most of the men doing this program think of listening only to Gregorian chant, choral music, or maybe other Christian artists from the pop culture. However, I cannot think of Christopher abstaining from secular music, (laughs) especially when he is clearly a human jukebox who during his conferences and classes just cannot stand. Stop singing all the secular songs through which God calls him or reveals something to him. So, what is your take on asceticism? Can asceticism and sacramentality be both integrated in a person's life, or are these terms opposite of one another?
0: Ooh, asceticism and sacramentality. You can't have one without the other. I would say asceticism, meaning a disciplining of our Minds, our hearts, our inclinations, our desires. uh, That is absolutely critical in order to come to see the world sacramentally. Uh, You can't see the world sacramentally without inner purifications. And you can't experience those inner purifications without asceticism. Uh, I would say this. Asceticism leads to a proper aestheticism asceticism leads to aestheticism and you can't have aestheticism without asceticism aestheticism is a proper appreciation of beauty an aesthetic sensibility right Uh, and from a catholic perspective an aesthetic sensibility is a sacramental sensibility an appreciation of beauty would mean Small b beauty, the beauty of this world, leads you to capital b beauty. That's a sacramental worldview, but you can't have that kind of aestheticism without asceticism, a disciplining of the mind, the heart, the emotions, the the desires. And I'll speak for myself, since the topic here is secular music. And yes, uh, anybody who knows me knows. What did Louis say? I'm a. He said you're a human jukebox. A human jukebox. <laughs> I like that. Um, Yeah, these songs got in my soul when I was a kid and a teenager. Like I just spent my my youth uh, listening to, you know, Top Forty radio, Casey Kasem's Top Forty Countdown. Like that was the that was my my weekly dose of of culture when I was a kid. And I I I will say that I had to go through a period of letting go of a lot of that when I first came to faith in my early twenties. A lot of that music was so associated with times in my life where I was up to no good and, and living a very disordered life, and the music was associated with that in my mind, in my heart. I had to let go of a lot of that. I had to go through a, an aesthetic time, a time of purification, a time of disciplining what I was listening to. I didn't have the wherewithal to untwist what sin had twisted up, Right. But as I grew in my faith, as I journeyed with the Lord more and more, I came to a point where the Lord was saying to me in prayer, let me show you what you were really looking for in that song. Let me show you what you were really attracted to in that kind of music. And the, the journey of redeeming that kind of music started unfolding in my life. And it's real, and it's deep, and it's powerful jesus wants to redeem absolutely everything absolutely everything gets redeemed between here and the beatific vision everything gets redeemed no stone is left unturned nothing is simply thrown away everything gets untwisted because the devil doesn't have his own clay people who are who are faithful listeners to this podcast you've heard me say that many times so important the devil doesn't have his own clay the journey of redemption is the journey of untwisting that clay. And it's precisely cooperating with that journey of untwisting the clay that demands an asceticism, a discipline, right? But that discipline, that asceticism, leads us to a deeper appreciation of the beautiful, aestheticism. Regarding this phrase from this uh I think he's talking about Exodus 90, mm-hmm. um, this, this program of, of fraternity and, and sacrifice that a lot of men are taking up. I'm very grateful that they phrased it that way, listening to music that lifts your soul to God. They didn't simply say listening only to hymns or listening only to worship and praise music. Uh, I mean, I will be honest, there are a lot of hymns out there that do not lift my soul to God. There are a lot of praise and worship songs that do not lift my soul to God. There's a lot of secular music because I've been through a journey of aestheticism (laughs) that do lift my soul to God. And that's part of my own prayer language. So I think that when I first read those principles of Exodus 90, I thought, good on you for putting it that way. Um, And there's still some music that I just find crass and really bass and really difficult to listen to. And why would I want to listen to that, whether I was doing Exodus 90 or not? Even so, when some of that music has seeped into my, my mind and my heart from my former days, we can really take that stuff and let the Lord untwist it. And even a perverse song reveling in lust can get untwisted. Those lyrics can become untwisted in our minds and heart and they can point us right into the glories of the Song of Songs. That's, just, that's how redemption works.
1: Yeah, and I think Luis is probably guessing correctly that that phrase uh, "listen to music that lifts the soul to God" does it allows for different interpretations. He's sort of guessing at what your likely interpretation would be. In that, um, unless you you know felt a specific call by the Lord to change this, it's a very normal part of your prayer life to um, not I'm not saying it's every day, but to notice a lyric catching yep. your heart and to listen more closely, look yeah. into more about the song or the artist to let it go deeper,
0: right? I'll give you an example. This just happened the other day. And I'm telling you, it was it was heaven opening up to me, like to the point of, of tears. Even as I recall it. it was so, so meaningful to my heart. I'm I've been unpacking something in my prayer life for a long time about the difference between a paradigm for the world that I call king of the mountain, you know, who's on top, versus a paradigm of the world of love, where the powerful comes to serve the weak. I came into the world not to be served, but to serve. And just the other day, I'm I'm entering into this place in my heart where, where I'm not sure you know, there are parts of my heart, I'm not sure I really believe in this paradigm of love. I mean, I do, I do, I do, of course. But I'm, I'm working on areas of my heart that need a deeper purification. And, and the Lord was, was asking me, do, do you believe in love or do you not? And this Huey Lewis song from 1982 ministered to my soul, and I know it was Jesus. Mm. It was Jesus singing to me. Do you believe in love? Do you believe it's true? Oh, you're making me believe it too. Yeah. I'm telling you, it was Jesus singing to my heart. Because I know his voice. I know his voice, and I know how he sings to me. Uh, is he going to sing through Huey Lewis to you? Not if that song doesn't mean something to you. I mean, that song meant something to me when I was 12 years old. Um, it really meant something to me. Like, I liked that song. And so, the Lord brings that back to me and sings it in this redemptive, holy way. I mean, Huey Lewis, what's he singing about? He's probably singing about lust. He's probably singing about getting some girl in bed. But the, I'm telling you, the Lord can use anything what is the lustful attempt to get somebody in bed it's a twisting of the song of songs and the lord can take that twisted clay and untwist it and it can become to a person's heart as beautiful as the song of songs it can it does it's real it's real it happens Mm. countless countless times it happens to me and it's so liberating so freeing you start to see the world sacramentally Start that all the clay, even twisted clay, you start to see the goodness in there that got twisted, Mm. and you can call it out. It's such a liberating way to live.
1: That's awesome. Yeah.
0: You don't have to be scared of the world. God made it.
1: Our next question is from a listener named Annie. Hi, Dr. West. I really appreciate all of the work you do, and I think you, of all people, will be able to help me with this. I'm a junior in college, and I'm almost 22. And I've struggled with pornography since I was nine. I've been working on becoming free and healing from this addiction since later in high school and throughout college. I've also been in a serious relationship for over a year now, and we're planning on getting married in the fall of next year. I've come to realize just how much pornography has affected how I see my boyfriend. And oftentimes I look at him or think about him and see what he can give me or how attractive I think he is rather than perceiving the actual person in front of me. Mm. This has been a struggle for me throughout our relationship, and I've noticed that when he and I struggle with purity, this becomes more prevalent. We've had a few discussions about this. He knows I've struggled with pornography, but he is uncomfortable discussing sex. Well, I'm a TOB nerd. So when I share my heart and thoughts with him, he listens, but there's not much back and forth. I know that this is a good relationship, and through prayer and discernment, I know that this is what God wants for me. But I am afraid of entering into marriage with this great wound in my heart. What advice do you have to deal with or heal from this situation?
0: Bless you, dear Annie. Bless you, bless you. I, I want to affirm right away, Annie, that your very ability to make these distinctions, to catch your heart treating. Your boyfriend in a kind of objectifying way what can he give to me how does he look how does he measure up all of that stuff the very fact that you catch yourself doing that is already a sign of your openness to god's grace mm-hmm. it's already a sign of god's grace moving in your heart because most people aren't even aware. I mean that's the way they think, that's the way they operate, that's the way we're trained to think, that's the way we're trained to operate in this pornified world. And it's like the fish who doesn't know he's in water, right? It's just what it's the water we live in uh, like a fish, right? But you the fact that you are recognizing, wait a minute, that comes that that attitude right there, that thought I just had, that disposition in my heart right there. That comes from the way I've been formed and shaped by porn. The realization that that's something that's formed in you from porn, I'm telling you, it's it's the Holy Spirit blowing his trumpet. And it's the Holy Spirit saying, Annie, there's another way to see. There's another way to think. There's another way to experience this man in your life. And I want to show you that way. I want to illuminate what love really feels like, tastes like, smells like, looks like, feels like, and that's the journey you're already on. So I want to affirm it. You're already on it. You're asking me, how can you continue on it? Well, you can continue on it by fine-tuning your heart to those movements of the Spirit, uh, being ever more attentive to them, Because the Lord will want to purify memories, purify images, purify specific things you've seen in the past. Just as I was saying in the last question about what the Lord can do with music, this is what he can do with those images. Those images that seared themselves into your mind and heart, just like the music that I listened to seared itself into my mind and heart. But the Lord later in my life said, okay, let's look back at that now to untwist it. There's certainly in the journey of detoxing from porn, right? There is the need to discipline one's mind not to think of those images that you were exposed to. Uh, And they can come unbidden. And when they come unbidden, maybe even for time, we, we should forcefully reject that image from entering the mind. But sometimes they come so forcefully, there's not much we can do to to get them out of our minds. And when that has happened for me, these are the times where I've said, okay, Lord, this image is on my mind, this memory I have, this experience I had. Please, I invite your Holy Spirit into that twisted up memory, into that twisted up image, into that Video I saw into that movie I saw into that magazine I looked at. I mean, my my obviously my memories of porn here are are pre-internet. Um, that's when I was exposed to porn long before the internet. I would have been a goner if the internet was around when I was a teenager. It would have been brutal. Um, but you know, that's what those are the memories that I have: magazines, uh, movies, and my own sexual experiences as a teenager. All of those things are twisted clay that the Lord can and wants to untwist in us. I could think of of any number of examples here, but I'll just point to one. I remember, this is maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago, I was walking down the street in a town where I was speaking, and there was this magazine shop, a newsstand or something, and you know I unwittingly caught a glimpse of the cover of some pornographic magazine, and uh it was I wasn't looking for it it's just there it was I saw it, and I kept walking, but it stung me it stung because it it started you know took me back to all kinds of memories of of looking at these magazines as as a young person as a teenager and the particular image was was of a woman in a i'll just i'll try to put this delicately in a surrendered position and i took that to prayer i was like lord lord there's something in my heart that's drawn to that what is that uh what's twisted about it and and how can it be untwisted and i certainly as i i brought that to the lord i saw this twisted desire in me to want to grasp at that to want to consume that to treat another person made in the image of God as an object for my pleasure. And I said, Lord, I know that this is a distortion of a good. This is a twisting up of the way you made me. You made me to be a gift. You made me to be a gift, Lord. Uh, how, How does that image get untwisted in my mind and heart? And I went on this journey in prayer where the image of a woman surrendering got untwisted, and rather than it being pornographic and perverse and and inciting lust in my heart, it took me, as strange as this may sound to some, please keep in mind that principle I just shared. The devil does not have his own clay. All he can do is take God's clay. God looked at everything he made, said, Behold, it is very good. The enemy gets his hands on God's clay and twists that up. What happened in my prayer experience as that clay got untwisted is I was brought to the mystery of the Incarnation. I was brought to the mystery of the Annunciation when Mary, representing the whole human race as bride, opened herself and surrendered perfectly to perfect love. And I saw that the true attraction in my heart to woman surrendered is not something pornographic. The true attraction in my heart to woman surrendered, as that clay gets untwisted, it becomes an attraction to the Christian mystery itself. It becomes an attraction to the mystery of the bride, the church, surrendering to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, opening my own heart to the Lord and letting the Lord come to dwell in me me that's how these images can be untwisted and that if i can loop back to that former question it's exactly what i was saying that asceticism a discipline a discipline is required to say no i am not going to go down that lustful path that requires a discipline that requires a firm no but that discipline leads, that discipline of asceticism leads to aestheticism, a new, holy, sacred appreciation for the beauty and dignity of woman. And I'm telling you, Annie, that whatever distorted images you have in your mind and heart of either a woman's body or a man's body, as you become attentive, to those movements of your own heart where the Spirit is leading, and you allow the Spirit to take you into those realms of untwisting that twisted-up clay, what you'll come to discover in the truth of the feminine body is the truth about Mary. And what you will come to discover in the truth of the masculine body is the truth about Jesus Christ. And here it is in a nutshell. Here's the truth. The masculine body is an icon that reveals God's desire to enter His creation. That's called the Incarnation. And the female body is an icon of the creature's desire to give the God who is love entrance into His creation. That's the Incarnation, right? From the first perspective, it's the Incarnation. From Christ's perspective, it's the bridegroom wanting to enter his creation. From the other perspective, the bride opening to receive the creator, that's the Marian dimension. That's the Marian perspective. What the enemy is after in attacking the human body in pornography, he's after the mystery of Christ in the church. And there it is, right in Ephesians chapter 5. Why did God make us male and female? Why does he call the two to become one flesh? This is a great mystery saint paul says this is a mega mystery it says in the greek and it refers to christ in the church untwist even the most horrific pornographic reality untwist it the whole way allow christ in there to untwist it and you'll discover ephesians chapter 5. that's what our bodies reveal that's what they proclaim there's a long journey ahead of you annie I've been on this journey for a very long time, and there are ever deeper layers of purification that are required of us. We can never say, I've arrived. We can never say, now I'm there. We can never say, now I'm 100% purified. Uh, Not until the beatific vision can we say that. But here's what I want to hold out to you. The grace of the sacrament of marriage will help you along the way of that journey, if you are open to it. We all enter marriage with wounds. There's nobody on the planet who has entered the sacrament of marriage without wounds except the Blessed Mother. Uh, I mean, she, she when I say wounds, I mean wounds that come from your own personal sin. Mary may have had wounds from other people's sin, but she didn't have wounds in her own heart that came from her own sin. Right? That's what I meant there. Um, but every single one of us, right, we enter marriage with wounds. And the idea that we can be healed in advance of all of those wounds, that's just a fantasy, an illusion. doesn't work that way. In fact, we have specifically a sacrament to help heal us from these wounds, and that sacrament is called the sacrament of marriage. It doesn't mean you have to be married to get healed from those wounds, because we have all the other sacraments too, but there's a particular sacrament to help a man and a woman be faithful to the love they're called to in marriage, and that's the sacrament of marriage. I'll just add one more thing about your boyfriend, and you said he's not so comfortable talking about these things. I would invite you just to ask the Lord, how can you pray for him? Because the fact that he's maybe reticent, uncomfortable here, talking about these things, this is part of married life. Like, to talk at an intimate level about these very intimate subjects should be a normal part of, of married life, so i would I would just you know maybe there 's some wound in his heart that needs to be healed there, and i 'd invite you just to ask the lord how, if you 're meant to marry this man, then you 're called to be his number one intercessor, and i 'd invite you to just ask the Lord, how can I pray for him so that whatever healing he may need may come his way. Wendy, what are your thoughts on all this?
1: I was remembering how. Uh, You used to often say in some presentations, um, you used to ask the men in the room, now when you see the lady on the billboard, what is the thing that attracts your heart? What is the sentiment of your attraction? Are you feeling, I want to give myself to you completely and live in a... Communion of love. Or do you remember yeah. saying oh, sure, something? sure, sure. So, I was just thinking that Annie's talking about she's been on a journey of healing, but now she's looking at the actual person that she does want to say those things yes, to. Yes. A boyfriend that she's looking to marry. And how the evil one would still want to prevent her mm. from seeing him that way. You know, this is... This attractive man is the one that she does wish to say to him, I do want to give my whole self to you, my whole life to you, and I want to live in communion with you. I want to know you ever more deeply. And I can just see how the evil one is just hanging on to the edge of the wounds as they're healing. Wow. It's like it's like that, that you know, the wound it gets smaller and smaller during the healing process, but he's like hanging on mm. there. Like, no, I'm not going to let her go get there. And, and there's a struggle and it's painful. But speaking that truth when that lie comes, or the temptation, I don't know which you know is the best way to describe what you're experiencing, the Lord knows that. But to speak that truth of, I want to know this real man before me ever more deeply. I want to learn to love this real human being who's imperfect and who's Deep value comes from the core of his being, Mm. placed there by God. And I long to be the one privileged to know that and to love and nurture that deep gift of humanity that is this man. Um, I just think that that is a good way to just thwart the devil and his nonsense.
0: Preach it, Wendy. You know (laughs) what I just heard and felt there coming from your heart? I felt that fierce feminine warrior thing, like Joan of Arc <laughs> or the Blessed Mother, like crushing the head of the enemy. Like I felt your feminine fierceness coming up there to fight <laughs> this battle. Right. Yeah. It's awesome. And you have that, Annie. You can you can fight this fight uh, with the Holy Spirit. A woman open to the Holy Spirit changed the whole universe. Mm. Your yes to the Holy Spirit here, Annie, can do the same can work wonders. Bless you, Annie. Yes. We hope you found our reflections at least helpful as some food for thought.
1: Yes. Our next question is from an anonymous listener who says, I went to your Made for More event last night.
0: Oh. It was awesome. Thanks be to God. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. We were just talking about that. That's right.
1: My daughter was really blessed by seeing the statue of Jesus gazing into the eyes of a woman. Can you tell me more about that statue?
0: That statue, uh, which Bill Dunahy, my esteemed colleague here at the Theology of Body Institute, first shared with me a few years ago. It's a beautiful, beautiful image called the Heart of God. Mm. And forgive me, I don't remember the name of the artist. But if you Google something like, Catholic art, the heart of God. Well, here, we'll, we'll, we'll find the image and we'll put a link up to it. How about that? Uh, so we'll, we'll have an, a link in the show notes of this uh, episode so you can f- see it. I, I really invite all of our listeners to spend some some prayerful time with this work of art. It's one of the most compelling works of sacred art that I have ever seen. Mm. This artist, uh, I believe he's an American, he just captures that loving gaze of Jesus looking at the woman caught in adultery. I believe that's the scene. It, it's it could be seen either as the woman caught in adultery or it could be seen as the sinful woman who shows up at Simon the Pharisee's house and, you know, kind of crashes the party and finds herself at Jesus' feet. Uh, either way, uh, the, the, what's happening is just this look of total understanding of what's going on in this woman's heart. And it's, it's this work of art really captures what I've been saying in, in my answers to almost every question here about untwisting the twisted up clay. Right? The, the way the clay gets untwisted in us is by seeing Jesus seeing us. right? By seeing Jesus seeing in our hearts what we were really looking for. I like to think of that woman caught in adultery as coming into the presence of the love she had been looking for in the adultery. Right? What is sin? Sin is a misguided attempt to satisfy a legitimate human need or desire. Right? The desire for love, the desire for union, the desire for closeness is God-given. The desire for intimacy is God-given. This woman caught in adultery took that God-given desire to the wrong place. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Right? There goes my jukebox again. And then she comes, she's dragged into the presence of the Lord, and these men want to stone her. And she encounters the love that she had been looking for her whole life in the eyes of this true bridegroom. She sees him seeing her. And his gaze pulls out from the ruins of her sin, pulls out the genuineness of the desire and redirects it towards himself. And so can we imagine here when Jesus said, go and sin no more? Do you think for a moment, if that's what had happened, she had found the love she had been looking for her whole life. Do you think for a moment she turned away and said, who is this man to tell me what I can and cannot do with my body? (laughs) Or is she rather just absolutely astounded that she wasn't condemned, but her desire was redirected? or the woman who crashes the party, right? If that's the woman in the statue. One of my favorite lines there. Jesus says to the to Simon, but the scripture says he's looking at the woman. He's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. He says, "Simon, do you see this woman?" He didn't see her because he was blinded by his own self-righteousness. Jesus sees that woman. Which is to say, he sees through all of her sin to the genuine desire underneath it all. And he's able, through that gaze of pure, perfect, merciful, redeeming love, he's able to redirect the desire of her heart to what she's really looking for. That's what I mean by the untwisting of the clay. That's what I mean by the redemption uh, that we're called to. It's, It's true redemption. It really restores what was lost. It really redirects our desire. Think of the woman at the well, right? She had had all these other husbands. She had been with six men, five husbands, and the number six she's with, she wasn't even married to. And then she encounters number seven, right? Seven being the perfect biblical number, six being the imperfect biblical number. Jesus is redirecting her desire. If you knew the gift that I wanted to give you, You would ask me for a drink, and I would give it to you, and it would well up in you to eternal life. That's what happens when all this pornographic, diabolic BS gets uncrumpled, untwisted, redirected, redeemed. We discover what we've been looking for the whole time, and we rejoice. That's the gospel. And it reminds me of the title of our event. We're made for more so much more than what the world is holding out for us Mm. so yes please everybody spend some time click on that link in the show notes and spend some time with that sculpture called the heart of god and by the time we get it up there we'll also find the name of the artist for you
1: yeah this isn't the first time i've heard someone comment on that being a really powerful powerful experience and um I I love that the artist is taking a story from the scriptures and translating it through his art into something that can reach our hearts in a, a very powerful, meaningful, healing way. What a gift. Lord, thank you for that artist. Thank you for all artists who are seeking to... Do the work you're calling them to, Lord, the struggles of artists um, to be understood and to have what is necessary to live and continue their work. Lord, we ask your blessings on them that the Spirit would inspire them, that they would be provided for, that their work would reach those who could be healed and transformed uh, by their work. And I lift up this um, – I'm suspecting it's a parent, well, it is a parent, I don't know if it's a mother or father who wrote in anonymously, but and this daughter who um, just experienced something profound at that event with that image. Lord, all those who've come to Made for More events, and um, you're, you're at work. You're bringing people there. You're speaking to their hearts as they are there. You're continuing your work in an ongoing way as they go about their lives afterwards. And we Ask that it would be blessed that the enemy's attempts to thwart your work would be defeated and that you would be praised that the light you've given each of us to shine would shine more and more brightly in this world.
0: Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the gift of artists who have blessed our hearts. Mm -hmm. I'm reminded in what you're saying there, Wendy, of something JP2 says in his letter to artists, and this is circling back to our first question Mm -hmm. about... Sacred music, secular music, etc. Uh, JP2 says, even when the culture's art is far away from what the church holds out to us, even when it disturbs the most unsettling aspects of evil, JP2 says, it can become a bridge to religious experience. It be- can become a-, a bridge to an encounter with the divine mystery. That has certainly been my experience of of art, the art that has spoken to my heart, uh, whether it's sacred or secular, specifically, it can become this bridge to religious experience. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of artists. And we thank all of you listeners for tuning in. If you were blessed today, please hit that share button to help us get the message out to an ever growing audience. We're so grateful to you for tuning in. Until next time, may you know it in your bones, in your flesh, in your heart, in your very bloodstream, you are a gift.
1: Become what you are.
0: Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.